You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Weekend World on Voice of Islam. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings to all our listeners. Welcome to the Voice of Islam. It is the Sunday, the 11th of September, 2022. The time now is 10 of 5. The Weekend World Show with Asal Ahmadi. You can listen to Voice of Islam on DAB Radio, mobile and online, 24 hours a day. Broadcasting live from the Beth of Fatou Mosque in Morden. The Weekend World Show is a current affairs show and with the week's news, views and reviews from a faith and non-faith perspective. Promoting the message of peace and unity. Discussing religion, politics, sports, and topics of faith and, and enlightenment. A message of Islam for the West. You can join us by sharing your views or stories by phoning 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. The views on the Weekend World Show are those of the individuals and guests. Joining me this morning is Waleed Ahmed, a librarian from the Beth of Fatou Mosque. Uh, good morning, Waleed. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Waleed, uh, the sad death of uh, the Queen, uh, longest serving UK monarch, mm -hmm. second longest in the world ever. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. King Louis was the longest. I see. <laughs> and uh, it is a sad occasion. Yeah. Whether you're a monarchist or not, um, yes. death of any individual, particularly if a person who has done a good deal of good work uh, mm. and uh, promoted uh, uh, well-being for others, mm. for certainly, um, as we say in uh, Islam, inna lillahi wa inna ilahi rajiun, to Allah we belong and to Him do we all return, and indeed we all return to God Almighty. Um, Let's hear a little clip of how this was announced um, uh, on, on, on the day she died, on, on, on Thursday. Whereas it has pleased Almighty God to call to his mercy our late sovereign lady, Queen Elizabeth II, of blessed and glorious memory, by whose decease the crown of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland is solely and rightfully come to the Prince Charles Philip Arthur George. We, therefore, the Lord's spiritual and temporal of this realm, and members of the House of Commons, together with other members of Her Late Majesty's Privy Council, and representatives of the realms and territories, aldermen and citizens of London and others, do now hereby, with one voice and consent of tongue and heart, publish and proclaim that the Prince Charles Philip Arthur George is now by the death of our late sovereign of happy memory, 
become our only lawful and rightful liege lord, Charles III. That was the announcement of uh, the death of Her Majesty the Queen, Queen Elizabeth II. Willie, your thoughts, initial thoughts on uh, the sad demise of the Queen? Well, um, we knew it was coming at some time. Um, but uh, when it did happen, then it was a bit of a shock uh, for many of us. Uh, and it is one of those events there where you tend to remember where you were when you first heard the news. And um, I was, uh, in fact, driving for my uh, prescription oh. at the time. And uh, I uh, uh, stopped my car and uh, uh, decided to um, share my thoughts with uh, my family and uh, one or two others about what took place. Um, so, yes, it's a, she, is, she was the queen of a country, um, as Islam teaches um, loyalty to one's country, there's always that affinity you have uh, with uh, those uh, that are presiding over us. And this was the, the case with the, with the Queen, that uh, because of that loyalty, that affection and attachment with uh, its head of state was something that uh, was very much evident. And um, I think that as far as uh, Her Majesty is concerned, um, a lot of people have commented, and rightly so, about her sense of duty and devotion to the country. In and to do that selflessly. Indeed. Uh, and the services uh, have to be recognized. Mm. Um, and uh, we shall be discussing a lot more of that on the show, actually. Mm. So um, let's... Uh, uh, Let's hope that uh, the family stays resolute mm. and uh, uh, they pass this uh, sad occasion uh, peacefully as well. Yeah. Okay, um, most of the show is going to be devoted on the Queen's passing away and the incoming new King, King Charles III. Uh, with that in mind, really, what do we have on the show? Well, as you say, much of the show will be given to the passing away of a monarch. But uh, after the news review with Philip Gent, uh, who will uh, review the papers, we will be continuing with the life of the Holy Prophet and see how he interacted uh, with the monarchs of the, uh, of the time. He had uh, dealings with various kings uh, of the period and sent the messages. Indeed. Um, and we, we look forward to that. And after the 11 o'clock news? Henry Smith, uh, he'll be uh, joining us uh, in the community news segment of the programme. Uh, to show to share his thoughts on both the Queen and of the incoming King Charles. Mm. We were going to talk to him about uh, the election of uh, Liz Truss, but I think this news is over. It takes precedence, yes. It takes precedence. Mm. We might ask him a little question on that. Okay. Um, what about uh, behind the headline segment of the show? Well, uh, Mr. Azhar Amadi will be joining us to give his take of what the uh, Queen achieved during her reign and uh, what she meant uh, for her Muslim subjects and those around the world. Not forgetting the reality of the world, he will also be uh, giving us an update of the recent disaster in Pakistan and how people are coping uh, there and what impact this is having on people's lives and what is in store for them. Indeed, the, the disaster in Pakistan is of a very serious nature. Mm. Uh, and the United Nations particularly are very concerned at what's happening. And that is 
the real tragedy if you, yeah. of all things uh, of the the lives that is that uh, that tragedy is taking yes. place. Yes. Uh, will Shahid be joining us for any sports? Is there any sports this well, weekend? Uh, no Premiership. <laughs> there, there's, there's horse racing going on. Uh, yes, mm. uh, I understand. Uh, and well, uh, in support of the Queen's, um, yes, you're right. Uh, there's no Premiership taking place. Uh, in deference to what's uh, taking place recently. Um, but uh, there has been a very exciting Asia Cup in cricket, and, uh, and that has been taking in place in the UAE. So we will get an update on that tournament and how the big four semi-finalists uh, are getting on, Pakistan, India, Sri Lanka, and Afghanistan. But I, I thought that those matches were done, and it was Pakistan and Sri Lanka in the final. Indeed. Oh, <laughs> Indeed. Okay. And that is what we'll talk about. Oh, I see. <laughs> but in the, in the week gone, yeah. while we haven't been on air, hmm. they have been playing. So people, oh, our okay. audience might want to know what's going okay. on in case okay. they missed it. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Yes. I hope I haven't spoiled it too far. No. no. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you gave it away. You might. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway. Anyone eager to comment or share their views or tell us anything about the royal family uh, or the queen? Please phone us, 0208-687-787 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Voice of Islam on Dab Radio, mobile or live stream on voiceofislam.co.uk forward slash live. This is the Weekend World Show with Arsene Ahmadi. The views on the Weekend World Show are those of the individuals and guests. Right, Waleed, we're going to start with our first segment of the show, which is the news review. Weekend World. Look at this week's news, views and reviews. Uh, Really, the BBC, uh, always the first on the mark and uh, the official government voice, as you could say, on such matters, uh, reports that the Queen Elizabeth II has died. Queen Elizabeth II, the UK's longest-serving monarch, has died at uh, Balmoral, aged 96, after reigning for 70 years. She died peacefully on Thursday afternoon at her Scottish estate where she had spent much of the summer. The Queen came to the throne in 1952 and witnessed enormous social change. Her son, King Charles III, said the death of his beloved mother was, I quote, moment of great sadness for him and his family and that her loss would be deeply felt, end of quote, uh, around the world. He said, uh, and I quote, we mourn profoundly the passing of a cherished sovereign and a much-loved mother. I know her loss will be deeply felt throughout the country, the realms and the commonwealth and by countless people around the world. And during the coming period of mourning, he said he and his family would be comforted and sustained by our knowledge of the respect and deep affection in which the Queen was so widely held. Yes, uh, let's hear what uh, the new King, King Charles III, uh, said is his opening speech. My lords, ladies and gentlemen, it is my most sorrowful duty to announce to you the death of my beloved mother, the Queen. I know how deeply you, the entire nation, and I think I may say the whole world, sympathise with me in the irreparable loss we've all suffered. It is the greatest consolation to me to know of the sympathy expressed by so many to my sister and brothers, and that such overwhelming affection and support should be extended to our whole family in our loss. To all of us as a family, as to this kingdom, and 
the wider family of nations of which it is a part, my mother gave an example of lifelong love and of selfless service. My mother's reign was unequaled in its duration, its dedication and its devotion. Even as we grieve, we give thanks for this most faithful life. That was King Charles III making his uh, opening speech as a king. Uh, he will be officially uh, 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 on the throne uh, in an, um, a ceremony later uh, as uh, once the funerals have taken place. Um, joining me this morning, or joining us really this morning, is Philip Ghent, um, who's uh, always been able to share his views on our show on a regular basis. Good morning, Philip. Asalaamu Alaikum. Good morning. Asalaamu Alaikum. Peace be on you. Yes, thank you very much, uh, Philip. Peace be upon you. Um, the death of Queen Elizabeth II, uh, I think, as Waleed put it, uh, it was anticipated uh, that would happen soon. She was getting frail and she was 96. Um, but uh, she achieved a lot. Uh, what would you say would be uh, some of her great achievements? Yes, I mean, first of all, just like to echo the words, uh, your words this morning, the words of His Majesty um, King Charles III in in mourning the loss of um, Queen Elizabeth the Great. I think we can we can say that Um, her impact on on the nation uh, was immeasurable, Um, and Liz Truss, our new Prime Minister did say that she was the rock on which our nation has been rebuilt. Um, and it, it just, just looking at her impact globally, um, uh, when she started her reign, we had a, a commonwealth of seven nations. And now we have um, uh, 50 plus nations in the commonwealth, um, bringing those nations together, um, a force good and global unity um, I think it's, it was great she, she, she also relied so much on her faith um, but not only did she um, was she at the head of the Anglican Church but she she did say that it was the duty of the church to um, protect other faiths now that is something that um, all Muslims recognize because it's in our Holy Scripture the Holy Quran but I think her reaching out to other faiths um, also uh, to make our nation uh, an inclusive nation, I think, um, is a legacy that will um, live long. And, and hopefully our future monarchs will, um, will look to her example, uh, not, not her personality, but her character, where, where she lived her life, um, I think we can say, you know, in the words of, Dean of Westminster, the very Reverend Dr. David Hoyle, he, he, he mentioned her character, devotion to principle, not power, to service, not self. And I think those words are very poignant and, and, and sum up her, her outlook on her life, where she did not take herself too seriously, but she fulfilled her duty to the nation. Yes, uh, you make a very good point and, uh, of some of her great achievements and uh, some very 
pertinent quotes of uh, important of uh, uh, eminent people uh, uh, highlighting her achievements what are, and, and you make a very good point about uh, safeguarding of faith um, that's something that happened uh, during the time of the promised Messiah who recognized the same for Queen Victoria and commemorated yeah. her diamond jubilee uh, and Muslims in Britain, and particularly the Andalusian Muslim community, have done uh, extremely well because many of them had come to this country through persecution in various parts of the world. Um, so uh, we are indebted uh, to the Queen and her government for giving us that safe passage, uh, particularly uh, to give home to our Khalifa, uh, who yeah. had to flee Pakistan as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and so our, as you quite rightly say, our fourth Khalifa under um, great um, persecution in Pakistan found um, home um, in, in, in the United Kingdom hmm. under the sovereignty of Her Majesty. And um, we do remember that the promised Messiah on whom be peace um, did write some books to, to Queen Victoria and... Um, in, in reverence to to uh, the freedom of uh, faith, and um, that 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 has been carried on by by Queen Elizabeth, and, and long may that uh, continue as an example to the to the rest of the world. Indeed, uh, I mean, we will see a lot of things. We hear a lot of things about the achievements of the Queen, Her Majesty. Uh, but she did go into go some challenges as well. The relationship with uh, Princess Diana, uh, the Prince Andrew saga with Epstein. Uh, th these must have been difficult times for the Queen. But she held her her con her uh, her dignity in all this, uh, and uh, has bore through all these difficulties very well. Yes, and and she she was a human being uh, with with all of the. Um, Emotions that would, would 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 go along with being a mother, um, and and she would have been impacted by um, what happened with Princess Diana, uh, Prince Charles, mm. um, Prince Andrew. The fact that all you know, Princess Anne as well, her marriage failed as well. So she would have she would have suffered through those, and um, but she she was sustained by her faith and her duty to her people. And uh, I think we're all agreed that she, uh, the way she conducted herself through those 70 years of service um, was profoundly, um, set an example to, to, to the rest of us. Mm. Um, and I think that's why we all are united in our grief and our sorrow at, at this loss. But... Yeah. To, to, to you know, to God we belong, and to God we shall return. And, and, and the meaning of that is that um, one should not be disillusioned by loss, but no. one should try and learn, um, learn from the loss. Hmm. And I think her example is something. If we can inculcate that uh, in our duty to our nation, it, it, you know. That she's, she would have fulfilled her purpose. Hmm. Uh, what, is, uh, what is the dawn in Pakistan? Uh, what are they saying? 
because the Queen had an impact on on many countries, and uh, a lot of world leaders are, com- are uh, sending their condolences and messages. Mm. Um, and uh, the Dawn newspaper, yes, uh, have yes. said uh, what what are, what have they declared? Yeah, uh, yes, the, the, the Dawn uh, reports King Charles was officially proclaimed as Britain's new monarch on uh, Saturday at a ceremony in St. James's Palace where former Prime Minister's bishops and a host of politicians shouted, God save the King. Charles pledged to follow the example of his late uh, mother at a historic ceremony in St. James's uh, Palace. Charles 73 succeeded his uh, mother immediately on Thursday as an, as an accession uh, council met on s- Saturday to proclaim his succession. Yes, making his personal declaration, Charles or King Charles III said, in carrying out the heavy task that has been laid upon me and to which I now dedicate what remains to me of my life, I pray for the guidance and help of Mighty Almighty God. Um, good touch there, uh, relating it to, uh, to to God and that mm. uh, he's a servant of God at, at the end of the day. Uh, your thoughts uh, of the new king, uh, Philip? Yes. Um, first of all, what a huge, huge pair of shoes to, to sort of fill, uh, so to speak. Um, but the, no, no, no king uh, or no monarch has, as Dave Cameron mentioned, served a longer apprenticeship. So, you know, and, and the king has known for being outspoken in, in, on, in relation to various matters, but he has made it very clear that he will not um, not not be meddling in politics and will fulfil the role of the constitutional uh, monarchy as it is. Um, I think he will be a fantastic king. He has already reached out to different faith communities, in particular the Muslim community, and engaged with them. He has the prince's trust. Uh, already, he, something he, he, he set up, uh, as well as, you know, we, we've talked about the environmental issues. He was well ahead of the curve on the environmental um, agenda. Um, he's, he, he's met every world leader, um, and he knows, he knows the role inside out, and he will do it his way, but I'm sure he will be a very successful king. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay, will it uh, will it be different to his mother, um, Queen Elizabeth? If there was a criticism, was that she was a little bit reserved with the public, uh, a little bit of a distance. Although she mm. met uh, held a lot of events, but already we can see that King Charles is going out there. He's going in with the crowd, shaking hands. He will let one lady kiss her on the cheek. Very mm. different to how the Queen would have reacted. Mm. But the Queen also was uh, adapting to the times as they changed. Mm. And I think that this would also be the case with, with the new King. And as Philip has mentioned, that uh, you know he's had a very good uh, apprentice, apprenticeship. Yeah. And I think that... Uh, and it's, it's uh, I think, one of the legacies that, that we are left with as far as uh, Queen Elizabeth is concerned that she's brought up and trained um, a very good heir to succeed her. Hmm. Um, So I think that he'll be very much in the same mold as his mother. And uh, that is something that is very positive for the nation uh, coming in the coming years. Yeah. We were talking about, Philip, some challenges that the Queen faced. And uh, 
one of the challenges the new king will face is this growing public uh, who are more republican rather than monarchists. Uh, and there is a, a growing number of people who are uh, not that supportive of the monarchy. So is, will King Charles try to address that and bring something that will attract the new generations who are less monarchist and more republican? Yeah. I, I, certainly that, that's very true, for example, in Canada, where, where, the, where, the, where the monarchy is, is the head of state. Um, I think they would, he would have to do that. Yes, I absolutely agree. Mm. Uh, he started, I think, as well in his in his own way by making the process yesterday um, uh, with the Privy Council uh, or the Accession Council um, a lot more transparent. That was that was televised. Um, so he will he will have to reach out um, and address that. Um, uh, I to- totally agree with you. He will have to do that. Yeah, yeah. In a modern mm-hmm. age, he will. Uh, you know, as 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 uh, people's expectations um, adapt and change, mm. the relevance of the monarchy will have to be demonstrated more and more. Yeah. I think the world has changed. Where where in the old days you accepted the monarchy and you you were the subjects. Yeah. Today people are a bit more demanding and they have more independence yeah. of the thinking and what they do and they want a reflection of that in the monarchy as well. And if it yeah. doesn't happen, it could turn them away, and and that 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 could be a challenge. But uh, yeah. but uh, let's pray that uh, the new king is able to continue the good works that the monarchy often does. Um, yeah. And uh, 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 let's pray for the uh, uh, for the nation to be um, united once again. Indeed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's lots of other news, uh, Philip, but this obviously was the key news, and thanks for sharing your thoughts. Uh, but uh, the other big news was uh, that Liz Truss becomes the UK Prime Minister uh, after meeting the Queen at Balmoral. Uh, Lisa, what, what did mm. the uh, Guardian write about that? Well, uh, it says Liz Truss has become the UK's new Prime Minister after meeting the Queen at Balmoral, where she was asked to form a government after the resignation of Boris Johnson. Trust 47 is the UK's 56th Prime Minister and its third female leader. She is expected to return immediately to Downing Street and will give an address to the nation before beginning uh, to appoint her cabinet. Yes, one of her first significant acts as Prime Minister is expected to be an announcement on plans to tackle the energy price crisis after allies understood to be discussing the £100 billion package to freeze bills. Um, no doubt. That so this was the report we read that the Guardian published the Guard, yeah, before the... Before the demise mm, of Her uh, Majesty, mm-hmm. and it was the day she met the Queen and the, the following day right. the Queen died. Uh, mm-hmm. Not implying that Liz Truss had anything to do <laughs> with, no. with the death. But uh, uh, let's hear what uh, Liz, uh, what Andrew Mars thinks of Liz Truss. A decisive victory for Liz Truss, but not the overwhelming smasher the pollsters had predicted. 47% of the whole Tory electorate below the 50% bar we're told Truss wants to impose on the Scots in any referendum before they get independence, or indeed the threshold for trade union members' ministers would like to impose before strikes. She won fair and square under the rules tomorrow, no longer. In favour of abolishing the Queen, she'll go to Scotland, and the Queen will make her our next Prime Minister. 
No Premier in my lifetime has got the job with such an ugly, gruesome intray of interconnected nightmares, galloping inflation, the energy crisis, the war, the strikes. Now... That was Andrew Moss um, mm. throwing caution to the wind. Uh, happy, uh, Philip, that uh, your new Prime Minister uh, is going to be uh, Liz Truss, uh, or should it still have been Boris? Or Rishi. Um, or, or Rishi, even. <laughs> well, I, I think Boris, it was untenable uh, in, in relation to, to Boris Johnson you know, knocking on doors as I do, mm. um, certainly in, in, in Surrey, um, his name, his name um, did not, did, he, was, he was a political liability. And um, so certainly for us in Surrey, he had to go. Um, I, I realised that would not necessarily have been mirrored in all parts of the country where he was popular. Uh, but um, overall, on balance, he had to, he had to go. Par- parliamentary party um, decided that for us. So... Um, um, it, as you say, Rishi or, or Liv, I, I think both would have been um, up to the job. Up to and um, but you know, I did did vote for Liz Trust. I, I think she she has just that little bit more experience in 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 government. She served three prime ministers, and and that that's what's waited for me. Plus her approach to um, economic policy, I think was is the right one. Um, I, I wasn't too enamoured with with Rishi's um, economic approach. Um, but, so I think on balance, um, yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy with, with Liz Truss. But, but uh, are you concerned that uh, the parliamentary pe- uh, party does not share your confidence in all the polls, <laughs> on all the all the polls running up uh, to the final two? Rishi Rishi Sunak was way ahead of anybody else. Uh, well, and it's only on the last poll that uh, that uh, Liz Truss scrapes through to become to become runner-up and uh, eligible for that uh, runoff between uh, between her and the, the winner. Oh, the parliamentary party, the way the way it works there. Well, um, that, that that doesn't that that, that what that does uh, tell me is that no matter who would have won, uh, they would have um, faced some. Um, heavyweight backbench MPs who know their mind, it would have been difficult for anybody because Rishi Rishi Sunak also, um, you know, he, he he was marginally ahead at the end of the day. There was no clear clear outright leader, I think. And uh, whoever won, whoever whoever won, would, would have faced you know a challenging time in Parliament. For now, um, uh, she, she has a, has a great period. Uh, and, and let's hope the parliamentary party continues to unite behind because, as as Alison mentioned, there are so many challenges that the country faces. You know that's really where the focus should be, and not not on any sort of infighting. When you form a government, is is it not best that you pick the best people to do the job? But you know, or is she guilty like Boris was that there's no room for anyone who didn't support them? So has the Tory Party really become a party of vengeance now? People who don't support the leader, they get ousted, and and they bring people in that are cronies. Basically, um, doesn't look a healthy outlook for the Conservative Party, does it? Yes, there's a, there's a delicate balancing act here, I, I think, for, for this trust. One is 
you know, for example, the Chancellor has to share the Prime Minister's vision. Those two offices of state are, you know, like you know, the, the, the forefinger and the thumb. They're, 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 they're joined, aren't they, really? Um, but Blair, Blair and Brown didn't get on, really, but they, they lasted many years and were very successful at that. They did, uh, mm. but they were they, they knew where to draw the line. I think. I, okay. I think they had, yeah, and, and, and they had a very special relationship in that sense. With New Labour. Yeah, they were having private parties. Who's, go, who, who's going to be the leader after he resigns and all that type of thing? Yeah, special dinners they they used to have, I believe. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. And and a very very unique period actually that in 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 our political history the brown and blair years mm. um but and, and, and so very unique i would say so so the chancellor um i think as quasi quarting was was a, is a very good move um james cleverly has been rewarded for his loyalty as well as, as the new foreign secretary so cronyism um, <laughs> and 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 in relation in relation to the home secretary we we have uh, Suela Braverman as well, who also shares um, uh, Liz Truss's, you know, far right or right of uh, centre instinct. Mm. Um, what I would say though is that we have a cabinet that's more diverse than it's ever been. Um, certainly, you know, the four greatest offices of state are are held by either women or uh, or, or people who do not originate. Uh, from 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 this, mm. this, this you say you, you so say Philip. I mean, if I if I can interrupt, I, I hope you don't mind. You say it's more diverse, but is it is it really more diverse as far as uh, political opinion is concerned within the Conservative Party? There are no, or there's perhaps just one uh, supporter of Rishi Sunak. There, he, uh, Rishi Sunak uh, himself, a very able politician, has not uh, uh, has not been has not been involved. Is that really the way to move forward to bring the party together after what was a long campaign between two differing camps? But, yeah. Well, what, what I would say, if we've looked at Rishi Sunak in isolation, yeah, then I think your 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 points are very valid. But if if we say, okay, Tom Tugendhat was in the race, he he's in cabinet. Uh, Kenny Badenar, um, she was in the race, she's in cabinet. Penny Mordaunt, uh, she was in the race. She's in cabinet, um, and, and 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 so you know a lot of the a lot of the and, and Rishi effectively did say, didn't he, that he could not serve in a trust in a trust government, unfortunately. So you know, the, the, he, he retracted what, that, didn't he? He did retract it, but mm. you know, having said it, uh, it, it 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 doesn't bode well for for a good harmonious relationship within cabinet. Mm. Um, perhaps something he regrets saying, but what I would say is that you know of the leaders of the the people that put themselves forward, yeah, I think they all find themselves with a cabinet role. Um, so okay. in that sense, I think she she's done rather well to accommodate um, the runners and riders, as it were. Okay, uh, many might not agree with that, but uh, uh, certainly Phillips has that view. Uh, Philip, uh, we must bring that to an end. Thank you very much for sharing your thoughts, and uh, we look Thank forward you. to having you on the show again. Pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Uh, uh, Thank you. And salam alaikum. Uh, peace and blessings Bye. to you all. Right, Raleed, uh hmm. We're coming on to our faith in focus. Uh, you know, there were there were there are many different ways of ruling. Uh, some nations have presidents, others uh, or prime ministers, others are ruled by a single head or a dictator, so some would call it, and by dynasties, and some are led by monarchs. 
and some with a combination of the two, like the UK, where both the monarch and the parliament intertwine as a ruling body. But uh, the monarch was very much the most popular type of rule in the historically in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in view of that, of the recent events, uh, the, the death of the, uh, Her Highness, Her, uh, Her Majesty, we look uh, at the different ways in which the Holy Prophet engaged with the monarchs and leaders of the time. So we want to look at that. So let's begin with the nature of these engagements with the leaders of the time of the Holy Prophet. What form did it take and with whom? Mm. Well, um, as you've indicated, these are those were very different times, 1,400 years or nearly uh, 1,500 years ago. Com- communication was very different. Uh, we didn't have the mod cons, the of communication, uh, the telephone or uh, WhatsApp or anything like that. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, communication (coughs) in those days, as far as the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, concerned, uh, was limited to messages written or passed on by authorized messengers. And in some cases, he he felt compelled to send these because, um, uh, sorry, in all cases, in most cases, he felt compelled to send these because he had been raised as a prophet for all mankind. And thus, thus he felt it his duty to invite everyone, even non-Arabs, uh, to this faith. And this is very evident in his letters. And uh, he, it is said some 25 letters uh, were, were sent, or at least 25 rulers were written to. And uh, um, many of these letters uh, are preserved. They're found in uh, the Museum of Medina and uh, also in Istanbul. Um, and each letter uh, carried a seal uh, of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, because he was told when he was about to embark on this initiative uh, to invite people, uh, to invite monarchs to uh, to Islam. He was told that uh, um, rulers don't tend to read letters that are not carrying a seal. Uh, so the Holy Prophet prepared a seal. It read, Muhammad Prophet of Allah, Muhammad Rasulullah, but uh, in deference to the word Allah, uh, Allah was put at the top, Rasul next, and Muhammad at the bottom. And uh, what is also relevant, that um, he wrote these uh, uh, letters, uh, he accorded the recipients due respect. So any monarch he was uh, addressing, he addressed them with uh, with their full, full titles. He was not condescending in, in any way in this respect. Um, but having said that, the first, when you look into history, the first engagement uh, that he had with the ruler was uh, not, in fact, through a letter, but uh, by emigrants mm-hmm. that, that had fled to Abyssinia to escape, escape persecution. This took place early in the Holy Prophet's ministry, about three to five years after he received the first revelation, uh, about 6.15, we would say. And the king of Abyssinia, referred to as the Nagus, was a tolerant ruler, uh, permitting free expression of one's ways. He was a Christian, so very much like our queen today, there are certain parallels that uh, Christian kings, even in those days, were very uh, uh, very favorable as far as uh, religious tolerance and allowing uh, people to share or to practice their faith. It's a sign of a good ruler. Yes. Yeah, uh, and that's that's what it was. So this was uh, certainly the feature of uh, the uh, king of Abyssinia. Mm. So the Muslims were very assured that if they went there, they would be free from persecution. 
And were they free for persecution? Uh, did the king uh, of Abyssinia grant them sanctuary? Well, um, he did, but uh, uh, not uh, without being challenged uh, about it beforehand. Because once the Meccans realized that uh, some of these Muslims are going and seeking refuge there, they tried to persuade the king not to give them sanctuary. And uh, Amr bin Alas uh, went there with, I think it was either Abu Sufyan or Abdullah bin Rabia. Uh, you know, these are details. From the crash. Yeah, from the crash. From the crash so right. they, want, they were uh, at that time. Amr became a, a very leading general uh, of Islam later on. Oh, right. Okay. But, <laughs> le- but at that time, he was a very strong, strong opponent. opponent. Yeah. And he tried to persuade the uh, king not to allow these Muslims to stay. And in order to ingratiate or to um, curry favor with him, he carried with him a lot of um, gifts, uh, leather and Bribe. stuff. Bribe. <laughs> uh, yes, inducements. inducements. And um, uh, the uh, king, uh, being very wise, uh, he said that well, I can't really uh, accept uh, your insistence that uh, we uh, we don't give um, uh, refuge right. uh, to these uh, to these people i want to talk to them first so he called on the muslims and it was um, the cousin of the holy prophet peace be upon him jafar bin abu talib so jafar's father and the holy prophet's fathers were brothers mm-hmm. so he's the first cousin of first the holy cousin prophet, of yes. prophet yeah. uh, brother of uh, of um, ali Chachataya is the yes, same. Yes, well done. Yes, so now mm. <laughs> all the, yes, uh, many of us will understand as a result <laughs> of that, in, that intervention. Thank you. Anyway, so uh, Jaffer uh, was um, very eloquent and uh, he was able to make his stand. And that is also, as to what he said, is also been recorded. It says, O king, we were wicked and ignore, ignorant people who worship idols and ate corpses. We committed all types of disgraceful acts and did not pay our due obligations to neighbors and relatives. The strong uh, of us suppressed the weak by power. Then Allah raised a prophet among us whose nobility, righteousness, good character, and pure life were well known to us. He called us to worship only one God and exerted us to give up idolatry and stone worship. He taught us to speak the truth, to fulfill the promise to regard the rights of relatives and neighbors. He forbade us from indecency, asked us to offer prayer and pay zakat, to shun everything foul and to avoid bloodshed. He forbade adultery, lewdness, telling lies, misappropriating the orphan's heritage, bringing false accusation against others and all other indecent things of that sort. He taught us the Quran, the divine revelation. When we believed in him and acted upon his uh, good teachings, our people began to persecute us and to subject us to torture. When their cruelties exceeded all bounds, we took shelter in your country by the permission of our prophet. So the king, on hearing this um, uh, this statement from mm. Jaffa... Quite a impre- moving statement. Yes, mm. and uh, he was impressed. And uh, because Jaffa had mentioned something about the Holy Quran, he wanted to uh, listen to it. So he asked him to you know, uh, share some of the teachings of the Holy Quran. So Jaffa recited verses, and these verses were surah from Surah Maryam, 
the mm. the chapter devoted to Mary, Mary mother, the mother of Jesus. Of Jesus yes. And this made such a profound impact, it is said on the king, that, it, that uh, tears started to roll down his cheeks. And uh, when the recitation had finished, he said, uh, surely this and what Jesus brought, in other words, the gospel, mm. has come from the same source of light. Mm. Uh, and the king therefore refused to entertain the request of the Makkan delegation and uh, s- uh, send the emigrants emigra- back. He refused to do that. Uh, and this upset the Makkans. So either at that meeting or maybe there was another meeting, but then uh, what was fed to the king is that by the Makkans mm. was that um, the teaching of Islam talks disparagingly about Jesus. And so uh, the king called uh, Jafar again mm. and asked him, to uh, to respond to this allegation. Mm, looks like the crash were on the ball and they were good at making trouble. Yes. Mm. So they wanted to find mm. a way that would uh, uh, compel uh, the king to side with them and do what they wanted. Uh, and Jafar uh, s- uh, said that uh, he held Jesus to be God's servant, his prophet, his spirit and his word, and which he cast upon the Virgin Mary, and on hearing these words, the Negus replied that this was precisely his belief of Jesus and that it was not a jot more than what he had described. Mm. So the, again, the king then reconfirmed his commitment to allow the Muslim refugees to remain in this country. And instead, um, he returned the gifts, as I said, of, of the Makkans and told them to, um, well, I was going to say buzz off, but perhaps that's not the word he used. <laughs> It shows you that without even making their own pleas, they mm. just presented mm. their faith, and that was appealing to mm. Negus. So mm. Negus was certainly mm. a good-hearted king, a fair king. Mm. Uh, was it enough to convince him to accept Islam? Did the Holy Prophet, uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, invite him to, jo- uh, to become mm. a Muslim? Well, you know, this kind of thing where... Uh, teachings of others are misrepresented is mm-hmm. happening today as well. Yes. All right? yes. Uh, we see it with the uh, mischaracterization of the Holy Prophet by yes. ca- Danish cartoons yes. or what's yes. people like Salman yes. Rusty and things like that. Yeah. And also, unfortunately, by Muslims about other Muslims mm. uh, in mischaracterizing their faith or their, what faith, their belief yes. in Islam. Yes. Uh, and it's only when the, the true belief is revealed then uh, the people realize as mm. to uh, how wrong they have been uh, been done. But anyway, as far as the Holy Prophet and the King is concerned, so this is the, the proper interaction that takes place. It takes place about 10 years afterwards. Right. Um, and that's when the Holy Prophet writes to the Negus and mm. uh, invites him to Islam. And that letter is also preserved uh, and it is found in one of the uh, one of the museums, either in I think it's probably in Saudi Arabia. And it says that in the name of Allah, in the name of God, the most beneficent, the most merciful, from Muhammad, the Messenger of God, to Negus, King of Abyssinia, uh, peace be upon him who follows true guidance. Salutations, I entertain God's praise. There is no God but He, the Sovereign, the Holy, the Source of Peace, the Giver of Peace, the gu- uh, the Guardian of Faith, the Preserver of Safety. Uh, I call you to God alone with no associate and to his obedience and to follow me and to believe in that which came uh, came to me 
for I am the messenger of God. I invite you and your men to God, the glorious, the almighty. I hereby bear witness that I have communicated my message and advice. I invite you to listen and accept my advice. Peace be upon him who follows true guidance. So this is basically the content of the letter. Mm. And uh, uh, as a result of that, it is said that the king uh, was very much favorable to what the message was saying, and he accepted Islam. And some 18 months later, he passed away, and the Holy Prophet got news of that, uh, either through revelation or through dream, mm. and he announced uh, this uh, his death to his companions, and then he proceeded to lead, according to some sources, his funeral prayers. Mm. And this is the only funeral prayer he read, he led in absentia of somebody. Oh, right, okay. um, so it's the first and the only time. Oh, wow. So there was that this honor that was given, given to, to, to the king, Negus. Yeah. Yes. What about other um, other leaders or kings? Did anyone uh, reject the Holy Prophet's invitation to accept? Who, did, who else did he confront? Well, the majority of uh, Christian uh, leaders, Christian kings, were very favorable uh, and approving of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Whether they accepted him or not is another matter. The only one who I know rejected it was Muselma. Uh, and Muselma uh, was a converted Christian, uh, had a big following. And, um, and claimed to be a prophet, didn't he? He claimed to be a prophet. Hmm. And uh, he uh, wrote uh, to the Holy Prophet. He said, uh, and it reads from Muselma, Sorry, from Muslima. His name was Muslima. Mm. It is the uh, the Muslims that uh, um, corrupted his name uh, to Maselma, which means little, little Muslima. Okay. Right? To, uh, yes, it's it's, it's uh, I suppose um, it's a slight yeah. on him. Anyway, from Muslima, Muslima, messenger of God to Muhammad, messenger of God. So he can, Muslima is clearly, as you uh, indicating, uh, considering himself to be messenger himself. Salutations to you. I have been given a share with you in this matter. Half of the earth belongs to us and half to the Quraysh, in other words, the Holy Prophet. But the Quraysh are people who transgress. And the Holy Prophet replied back, from Muhammad, the messenger of God, to Maselma, the arch liar, peace be upon him who follows guidance. Now then surely the earth belongs to God, who bequeaths it to whom he will amongst his servants. The ultimate issue is to the God-fearing. So clearly the Holy Prophet was not going to be lured into Maslama's delusions, uh, who thought that Prophet, did up, the prophet was, it was something that was up for negotiation. And the Holy Prophet was adamant that this was the sole preserve of God mm-hmm. uh, as to who he wanted and who he didn't. And anyway, we, we learn uh, how later, I mean, we have covered this, uh, yeah. and we learn how later on he met his end. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, at the hands of Abu Bakr yes. when he raised an Absolutely. army against him. Yeah. Yes, he raised an army of 40,000. Yes. That's right, yeah. What about, uh, I mean, you're saying that Musalma was Christian and we talked about Negus who was also Christian and other Christians who were favorable. Uh, were there any who were idolaters rather than uh, of a book people of the yes. book? Yes, so there are two, at that time, there are two superpowers then. One was the Roman superpower, the Byzantiums under Heraclius, and then there was the other one, uh, the Iranians, the Persians. Mm-hmm. Under um, These were big empires. These are big, yeah, big mm-hmm. em- empires. And uh, that was under the Khosrows, the Sassanid Empire, in fact. And um, so uh, the Holy Prophet, uh, when... He wrote to him, um, the Khosrows was um, quite um, 
proud, a proud ruler. ruler. Mm-hmm. And uh, the latter <coughs> um, uh, um, was um, not um, received very favorably. Right. And it is said that uh, he went into rage. And uh, what uh, his arrogance could not bear was that an ordinary subject of mine writes me a letter and puts his name in it before mine. Oh. So, so <laughs> you can see the pettiness of yes, the man. Yes, yes. Right, rather than focus on the contents mm. uh, of the letter, he's more concerned about where his name appears in it. Mm. Uh, it's a problem I have with when publishing the bulletin. Is that well. right? <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. We, we, all sometimes have that. we all have that problem. Sometimes. Uh, very few people, uh, I okay. must say. Uh, we were well brought up otherwise. Mm. Yes. Anyway, uh, it's recorded that, uh, um, he, as I said, he, he tore up the letter, and when the Holy Prophet learned of it, he was very saddened, and he said that um, he, he's torn tear, up my letter, Allah will tear his uh, king, kingdom upon every tearing. So every every tear he made uh, was going to be uh, uh, reflected mm. in the destruction of his kingdom. And the text of the letter we also have, but anyway, uh, we, we I know that we are running out short of time, we didn't. Yes, sorry, yes. But it essentially, is the text of the letter is inviting the 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 king mm. uh, of Persia to Islam, and he uh, rejected it completely. He rejected it, yeah. and okay. uh, <coughs> and uh, the king of Iran was not satisfied with just tearing the letter up. Uh, he did yes. something else. What yes, so uh, he you know wanted proper vengeance. You know, oh. so he he uh, he was asking for. The rest of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him. He sent a message to the governor of governor of Yemen, mm-hmm. uh, not so far away, and he told him to send uh, two officials and arrest this Arabian prophet. Mm. Uh, the uh, officials uh, made their way. Uh, eventually, they, they, they thought he was in Makkah, but they were told that no, he lives in Medina. They went right. to him, and the Holy Prophet peace be upon him uh, said to them that. Uh, they should wait, wait give, them, give him a day. Uh, what they, these two uh, arresting officials said was that if you don't comply, then uh, you will be destroyed, your whole people will be destroyed. So it was a quite a big threat, and it's coming from a big power. Mm. And the Holy Prophet said that, uh, come to me the next day. So he prayed during the night. And uh, the next day he said to them, go back to your uh, rub." Uh, and uh, uh, tell him that my Rabb, in other words, Allah, has killed his Rabb, the Khosros, and that his son has taken over. So this is the message he gave to uh, the arresting officers. So the uh, arresting officers went back to Yemen. They reported this to uh, the governor, and the governor said that if this man is true, it will be like he says, but if it's not true, then God help him and his country because there's going to be a big, uh, a big crisis for him, a big uh, uh, army of vengeance or some kind of disaster is going to fall upon him because he has angered the uh, king of the Persians. And uh, surprise, surprise, a little while later, a boat anchored in Yemen bearing a letter from the uh, king of Iran. The seal had changed, indicating a change in the ruler. 
and the letter stated, just as the Holy Prophet uh, had predicted, that uh, the uh, Khosros had, uh, the king of Iran had been assassinated and his son had taken over. And the governor of Yemen and his uh, entourage mm. all accepted Islam as a result of that. Mm. But the approach of the Holy Prophet was always invite as an invitation. Mm. And he, as you mentioned, under Negus, uh, he instructed them to be obedient to the monarchs of the yes. time, right? Yes. Uh, whilst being obedient to the Holy Prophet as well, yes. or to Islam. Uh, and, and that is a message we can take for mm. our our uh, loyalty to the countries mm. in which we live. Thank Absolutely, you. yes. Okay. Thank, Thank you very much. Okay. Right, or to the 11 o'clock news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Welcome back to the Voice of Islam, the weekend world show with Asin Amdi and Waleed Ahmed joining me as my co host. Uh, those wishing to share their views can phone us on 0208 687 7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. The views on the weekend world show are those of the individuals and guests. Uh, Waleed, um, uh, we were talking about the royal family and, and the sad demise of uh, Her Majesty the Queen. And one of the key issues, uh, one of the key things that happens is that the royal family, the, the monarchy and the parliament work together in yes. the United Kingdom. And uh, every so often the Queen visits the parliament at the opening ceremony and, and other venues and, and the, the prime minister regularly meet the Queen uh, to tell her what her government is doing and mm. also uh, what the plans are. And uh, she seeks, uh, one, to inform the queen and two, or the king, uh, and to seek advice as well. Mm. Uh, joining us this morning is Henry Smith, the MP for Crawley, uh, an MP for over 12 years and a keen vexologist and a campaigner for animal rights. Uh, so no surprise, he's a committed vegetarian for many years. He regularly appears on the show uh, very kindly. Uh, but more importantly, has met the Queen on several occasions. Uh, good morning, Henry. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Good morning, Henry. Um, uh, very sad to hear the anticipated news for some time now, <coughs> considering her age. Uh, she was 96. Uh, her Majesty's death uh, and with the passing away of the longest-serving monarch uh, for the U United Kingdom and the second longest in the world. As an MP... Um, what were your initial thoughts and um, what, what do you think that uh, Her Majesty uh, achieved during her long reign? Well, like you said, of course, she was 96 years old. And I think we all knew that nobody is eternal uh, and that uh, we uh, will all come to the end of our lives. But nevertheless, when news came through, it was still a shock and felt somewhat surreal for um quite a while. Um, the thing is, she was such a presence, I think, not only in this country for all of our lives, but also around the world as well. There are very few people alive today who knew anyone else on the uh, British throne than Queen Elizabeth II. Um, and I think her legacy is one, first of all, of dedicated service. She made a broadcast very early on in her reign. Let's not forget that she became queen when she was just 25 years old, and she pledged then to devote her life uh, to service. And I think she certainly, um, that's probably a, a promise um, that is most definitely uh, being kept. 
Uh, and I think also, though, in terms of you were mentioning um, the British political system, uh, the great strength of our constitutional monarchy is that there is, there is somebody who is above the political fray um, in Parliament and, and political debate, somebody who can unite the country. And indeed, that extends, I think, to the Commonwealth um, and further afield than that. Uh, so I think that is really her legacy, although it's very difficult to encapsulate 70 years of service in, in just a <laughs> Indeed, we, we can't do that justice in a short interview. Indeed. Uh, as an MP, you would have had the privilege of meeting Her Majesty on several occasions, I would have thought. Uh, can you tell us what was what was that like, and, and can you tell us about some of those meetings? Well, the Queen is one of those um, individuals, because she is so present um, and has been for such a long time um, in our lives, that we all feel we know, even if we haven't met her personally. Uh, and I first met her in 2006 when she visited Crawley. Um, at the time, I was then leader of West Sussex County Council, and she was reopening um, a school that had been uh, rebuilt, Thomas Bennett Community College. Uh, and I was there um, to greet her. So it was uh, it, it, it was quite striking to um, see her in person for the first time. But mm. she was she was very gracious and carried out her duties in Crawley that day in a way that um, made people feel very comfortable uh, and in a way uh, that um, there was a sense of celebration. I remember in the town uh, on the day that she visited. Yeah, I, I think that what you just said there actually resonates a lot, doesn't it? That she she was very gracious when she met people, and uh, she certainly served her communities around the country uh, very well. Uh, and, and you said uh, not just Britain, but other countries as well. In fact, when she became the queen, she heard of her father's King George the Sixth death in Kenya, and that's where I'm born. So we know there's a there's a link there that uh, that I I've also. Uh, have that little connection with her in that regard. In regards to the Parliament opening, uh, she comes, is it every year that she does the Parliament opening? Uh, it's, it's, it's usually um, every year. Um, it's at the beginning of every session of Parliament, and usually a parliamentary session is about a, a year long, and so she she comes to Parliament to read out the Queen's speech, that will now be the King's speech, mm. um, in the House of Lords. Um, and essentially, the Queen's speech, um, the sort of um, irony of our uh, constitutional system is it's not written by the Queen, it's written by the government of the day. <laughs> and it really is setting out what laws uh, mm. they want to introduce over the coming year. So it's a bit of um, tradition. Um, but nevertheless, it's 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 something that I think um, provides um, a historical context um, to um, the proceedings and the way we conduct ourselves um, in, in in this country and in Parliament. There's a lot of pomp and pageant in the in those ceremonies, uh, and you've been in those ceremonies. Uh, how, how, what are those ceremonies like? And when when the Queen arrives, uh, what's the what's the atmosphere like in the Parliament? Well, it's um, quite a lot of excitement, um, uh, quite a lot of anticipation. And I remember uh, one time when I was fortunate enough to be sitting in the uh, what's called the, the Royal Gallery, which is just behind the House floors, where the Queen uh, would process down uh, before giving uh, her speech. Uh, and this was probably about 10 years ago, and uh, she was wearing the crown. And I just remember... Um, 
it was just so striking. I had never seen um, just such radiance um, from the crown, mm, uh, mm. and and to see it so um, up close um, was just uh, quite remarkable. So yes, you're right. A, a lot of pageantry, a lot of history, uh, and um, you know that's something that I think um, provides context uh, and um, a link uh, to the past. And the heritage um, that we, you know, we still see today, and we'll see continued uh, now that we have King Charles III. Yeah, uh, I'll come on to the new king, uh, but just very quickly on uh, the pomp and pageantry, something the world over uh, enjoys. Do, do they not uh, about Britain, uh, especially the Americans? I think it's certainly, mm. uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's certainly um, uh, something that uh, a lot of people travel to the UK uh, to see. Um, and is one of those unique features uh, of this uh, country, and um, I think it, you know, plays an important role in in, in national um, identity. Uh, so, and plus a, a link to the, the history um, of, of this country. At the end of the day, you know, the decisions are made by the elected House of Commons, by the elected governments in this country. Uh, but I think a reference uh, to the past, and also, as I was saying earlier, somebody who is above the political fray. As a figurehead for the whole country is, I think, something uh, that is uh, important um, in this country's context. Mm. You mentioned King Charles. Uh, he's going to now succeed uh, Her Majesty. Um, what sort of king would you like him to be? Uh, what do you think he will bring to to the monarchy for Britain? Well, again, I think a, a unifying um, figure for the uh, country. Uh, he, somebody said the other day that he's probably served the longest apprenticeship uh, to be king um, of anybody. Um, I think historically that is true. He's the longest heir to the throne that has ever um, existed. So he knows well the role that he will have to be um, taking on. Um, as we all know, he's passionate about a number of issues, um, he set up the Prince's Trust uh, many years ago um, to really help um, provide social mobility more in deprived um, areas of our country. He has a great concern uh, with regard to the environment. But I think what we will principally see uh, from the new king is, again, somebody carrying out his constitutional role of being above um, party politics, but somebody who um, hopefully is providing a a unifying presence um, for the country and also um, for the Commonwealth uh, as well. So uh, I think it's very important um, that that global role is also a key part of his responsibilities, which I'm sure it will be. Yeah. Uh, during the time of the founder of the Amdiya Muslim community, Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, uh, the que Queen Victoria celebrated her gold, uh, diamond jubilee and uh, he and, and he wrote a book for her, especially a gift to the Queen, in which he thanked her and congratulated her that she, under her rule, the, uh, all faiths were allowed to practice their faith freely. Now we, as Amdi Muslims, having faced persecution in many parts of the country, have enjoyed that same uh, freedom and and uh, freedom to practice our faith in this country, where we're not allowed to in other countries like Pakistan. Um, this is what uh, the head of the Amdiya Muslim community, His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, uh, said, uh, the, the statement he gave upon hearing the death of Her Majesty. He says, 
The death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II is a truly great loss for the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth. Amity Muslims will remain forever grateful for the way Her Majesty served her people with immense dignity, grace and unwavering dedication throughout her long reign. On behalf of the worldwide Amity Muslim community, I wish to express our most sincere condolences to His Majesty King Charles III, the members of the royal family and to the nation. May Almighty God grant them all the patience and strength to deal with this tremendous loss. I think we are forever grateful for Britain and for the monarchy in particular also that under their rule that we are able to do this. And we've had that opportunity uh, of sharing that with our communities and in Crawley particularly you attended our mosque several times and uh, we intend to continue that and we look forward to that. So your views on that? Well, that's a very generous and gracious message from His Holiness, and I think it very much reflects uh, the views that many of us hold. And yes, the irony may be that the the, the, the monarch in this country is is head of the Church of England, moderator <laughs> of the Church of Scotland. Oh. Obviously, those are two Christian um, denominations, um, but it is very important uh, that they are there to defend freedom of faith, and I think that's a very important. Uh, part of uh, this country and should be something that people enjoy throughout the world to uh, be able to follow their convictions and follow their faith without fear of persecution for doing that. Um, that, above all, is what I think this country should stand for, and I'm sure that that is what uh, King Charles III will continue to stand up for in the way that his uh, mother, um, uh, Queen Elizabeth uh, stood up for uh, as well. So that is a fine ideal that as a world we haven't yet reached, um, but we must continue to strive to do so. And I very much hope that this country will do that. And you're right in Crawley in that context. Um, I think not to say everything's perfect, um, but I think generally speaking, there are good interfaith relations uh, in Crawley. Um, there are problems, of course, uh, from time to time, but we must strive to that. And um, I'm somebody who has always uh, very much welcomed my visits to the Normoth uh, in Langley Green, and I look forward to visiting again uh, in the near future. Uh, I think that is very important. As I visit um, the uh, the Gurdwara and, 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 other, and other places of worship mm. uh, in the community I represent as well, um, I think we are... We are richer and stronger for having um, that sense of faith um, and freedom of belief uh, than trying to uh, dictate people how they should how they they should think and lead their lives. Indeed, and just one last thing: uh, the new king, King Charles, has been very uh, open about this, about talking about faith, about religion, and supporting all the all the religious groups uh, on a regular basis. So we look for we, we can expect that that will continue, and if not in, enhanced in, in, under his um, uh, reign. I think we can be absolutely assured of that, and that fills me with uh, a great deal of confidence and hope. Yeah. Uh, Henry Smith, thank you very much for, for joining me. Uh, we My hope pleasure. that uh, uh, do pass our condolences to all of the parliamentarians, and uh, we hope to catch up with you soon again, very soon. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, as always, it's our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Okay, well, Lisa, mm. uh, that brings uh, that interview. I mean, what Henry says, you know, it's very important that uh, the support that 
all faiths get uh, and the freedom mm. that we've had mm. is something that is not to be forgotten easily and, and, and we should be forever grateful no. that when people do that, if particularly if you think about it, that our uh, Khalifa, the fourth Khalifa was at the time, had to flee a country mm. and it was this country that gave him succor mm. and mm. support and mm. ever since the, that, that Khilafat has, has remained in this country. Mm -hmm. So yes, there's a great uh, tradition of the UK to be able to give sanctuary to people. Mm. Um, of uh, all uh, persuasions, and it has done so. But this aspect of um, Christian nations, uh, Spanish Inquisition notwithstanding, <laughs> <laughs> allowing tolerance uh, when it comes to the practice of one's faith. Yeah. We mentioned the Negus, for instance, Queen Victoria. But but uh, you, but you get the rough and the smooth. You, you yeah. get some some yeah. like like we mentioned. Yeah. But there have been others like the mm. Inquisition was yes. terrible uh, yeah. affair of Christianity, yes. which which ruled by by mm. by the sword and mm. persecuted mm. a lot of people. But what I was going to say is that it was also reciprocated by the Holy Prophet peace be upon him. Yes, this charter that exists oh. uh, to this day of, mm. uh, that was given to Saint Catherine's Monastery. Mm. Uh, you know, giving protection to uh, all Christian subjects. Yes. Is uh, is an indication of the tolerance that Islam also mm. teaches for all other faiths. It's, it, it's in the Holy Quran. It's uh, in the Holy yeah, Quran. Uh, 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 permission to take up arms yes. is given. Uh, had it not been, mm. then churches, cloisters, synagogues, yes. and temples yes. and mosques would have been destroyed. Very well. So quoted. it's a duty yes. onto the Muslims yes. to protect the rights mm. of faith, mm. as this Britain does. Mm. I wish our Muslim countries sometimes yes. read the Quran a bit more thoroughly. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, our irony. Irony, it, irony, it yeah. is. Uh, okay, uh, as as Henry put it, that that's the irony of it. There is a Christian nation giving support to uh, other faiths as well. Uh, right, Rulit, we must move on to our yeah. next segment of the show, which is behind the headlights. Just been called for Donald Trump. The decision taken to join the common market has been the reversed. Should call a general election. Order. Weekend world. Questions to the Prime Behind the headlines. Right. Uh, joining us this morning is uh, Azhar Ahmadi, uh, who will be discussing uh, various aspects of the news about the Queen as well as uh, what's been happening in Pakistan. Um, is Azhar with us yet, or is he still uh, having struggling to get hold of him? Can you hear me? Yes, we can, mm. Azhar. Salaamu alaikum. Sorry about well, that. Yeah, there was a slight delay on our side. My, our apologies. Um, Azhar, we've just been covering a lot of uh, aspects of the various aspects of, the, of Her Majesty the Queen, her sad can demise. Just, do you mind? Can I just say something to Mr. Walid? Uh, he mentioned something. I must have, I'm, I could have misheard him, but uh, he mentioned two Christian emperors mm -hmm. whom the Holy Prophet Muhammad wrote which is the Najashi in Abyssinia and the Macaques of Egypt. The, uh, the Heraclius of uh, the Eastern Roman Empire was also a Christian. So that is the Christian uh, Eastern Orthodox Church. So the, the, the trinity of Christian kings has been completed. <laughs> yeah. okay. we, we did have that in, in our schedule, but we didn't have enough time to cover that. Um, and there were other Christians that he must have also written to. Yes, so I thought there might be some confusion in your mind, and I wanted to take the opportunity. 
That's, that's, that's okay. Thank, yeah, you. No, thank, thank you very much. Yes, indeed. <laughs> okay. Uh, going back to Her Majesty, we were speaking to various people and Henry Smith as well just now, the MP from Crawley. Uh, the nation is in mourning. It has uh, been a remarkable period of British history, a 70-year reign. Uh, how would you assess the nation's mood? Yes, so um, it's a very sad uh, day for all of us. And uh, I think um, um, we're all very sad. And uh, the, the Queen was uh, uh, an absolute picture of uh, gentleness, wisdom, family values, a grandmother for the whole nation. So, uh, you know, uh, I think there's a bit of trepidation as to how we're going to go forward. Uh, so let us hope that the best of... Uh, the British people and the British monarchy uh, survive and uh, carry on. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you know, there have been a few uh, troubled periods. So uh, we wish that they are avoided in the future. And, uh, mm, you know, we wish the best to the royal family, to the new king. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think there is a bit of uh, trepidation. But uh, is, the, is the trepidation to do with the royal family or is it to do with what goes on inside the royal family or is it to do with uh, that the, the new generation is less monarchist and more republican and hence uh, not that supportive of the monarch, monarchy well, system? Well, I think the monarchy is uh, still very popular. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm a, I, I like the monarchy normally. You know, obviously there's a big difference between a constitutional monarch which uh, actually means that they have no involvement in politics at all. Uh, uh, you know, in Europe, there are many monarchies like Sweden and uh, Netherlands and all that, and they're all constitutional. They don't have any say in politics. And similarly, in uh, England as well, but the difference is the English monarchy is very popular and uh, throughout the world. Mm. Uh, so the trepidation is... I think Prince Charles is uh, King, King Charles, Charles yeah. now is um, <laughs> uh, you know first class. Uh, uh, I'm sure he'll uh, he'll do extremely well because he's an extremely wise, and you you've seen his support mm. of uh, other faiths as well, and uh, how he talks to plants and things like that. So it means, <laughs> and also environmental in issues, and likes but alternative medicine as well. Yes, mm -hmm. indeed, indeed. Homeopathy, homeopathy was a great it. favorite of the of all of the Queen and uh, Prince Charles as well. Uh, I'm not sure about the others, mm. uh, but uh, I would uh, like to blame. Um, 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 you know, I, I put I say the word trepidation. One is not regarding King Charles because I think, as I said, he's is uh, a first class, uh, rounded, and uh, admirable gentleman. But the times we are living in, and uh, also the press intrusion is far too much. Mm. Uh, so there has to be wisdom, and uh, we have to keep away from, uh, if you don't mind me saying so, interviews. Uh, and uh, if that is... Mm. Tell that to Prince Andrew, yeah. <laughs> I beg your pardon? 
Sorry, I was just... I was you should have been an advisor to Prince Andrew. Uh, well, uh, well uh, if I can correct uh, Waleed again, <laughs> uh, it was the... I think there was an interview in 1995, which was rather uh, shattering. And then there was also the uh, interviews in America. Okay, yes. Uh, which, By the so different roles, three yeah. interviews. Yeah. So, we, you know, look, mm. if you come on the TV and discuss your personal life, it's mm. going to be trouble, isn't it? Mm. I don't, Indeed. Yeah. So, so I don't know what kind of press uh, advisors they have, really. I mean, you know, mm. somebody mm. should tell them, look, you're not working, you know, we're not here to discuss you're not going on BBC to discuss environmental issues. And, you know, Prince Charles has given interviews on environmental issues. That's yeah. Fine. Perfect mm-hmm. on architecture. Lovely. Stick to but the topic, you, yeah, and keep the personal lives out. Yes, you uh, cannot yeah. discuss your family lives. It's going to be trouble. You know, mm-hmm. even if I or you or uh, Walitza discusses his yeah. personal life, we'll be in trouble. Yeah. And, 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 and that was the possibly the great attribute of the, of Her Majesty the Queen that she never really discussed the personal aspects of her monarchy, did she? And she Absolutely kept she correct. kept business to business, and she yeah. kept her dignity. Is that would that be a correct Absolutely. reflection? That is well put, and I think, uh, and also she knew how to cover up and bring people in. Uh, so uh, you know, there are some people who've uh, kind of moved away from the royal family. So, but she knows how to not to rub them up the wrong way mm-hmm. and uh, bring them in. But uh, my whole point would be that this is quite normal in a in a in a uh, in a society where families are strong. And you know, Islam recommends uh, very much that you t- look after your relatives and that you should have a close relation with your relatives, with your uncles, aunts, cousins nephews, nieces. Mm. So this is correct. So the royal family embodies that, which is first class. You know, a lot of people in England, they're moving away from uh, family values or family connections. So that is not a good thing for a society. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, the Queen was, as you said, an absolute figure who kept business to business, and her choice of words was, al- was always... Uh, the wisest, the best, the most appropriate for the occasion. And she did her best to bring, um, uh, you know, any royal family members who felt uh, disgruntled. Uh, But I think, uh, uh, as I said, there are two causes of the troubles. One is uh, current times where there's a lot of... uh, uh, erosion of family values and the institution of marriage. You know, people are living together. Uh, we used to say in the 70s when I was at school living in sin, uh, but <laughs> mm. I'm not sure that is the uh, accepted wording, but, you know, co- cohabiting. Uh, so these are Christian values, you know, and the and as you know, the Queen was a great advocate of religious values, and she held her faith in God and the church very dearly. So that is to be recommended. Uh, So that is number one. Number two is press intrusion. So there's too much press intrusion, and the press I would blame for having eroded the popularity of the uh, royal family. If you have press going into taking photos uh, in holiday snaps, and also about uh, endless speculation about uh, uh, family rifts and this and that and this will uh, 
obviously uh, kind of magnified the problem. The, the the press would stop all that if the public wasn't interested in it, and if the public yes. are paying the bills, uh, are paying for for this sort of news, uh, then you blame the public rather than the press. Yes, so we have to blame both of them mm. because the press can take a lead as well. You know, I mean, if uh, if there's a problem uh, in somebody's house, uh, it shouldn't be out in the local papers. Mm. Uh, that will magnify the thing. Although every, every, everyone um, or most people will be interested. Okay. So uh, the, the quality of the press in this country yeah. needs a lot, a, a lot to be desired. Desired, as you know, the uh, the red tops. Uh, you know, the, I think some of the coverage of uh, salacious issues mm. is uh, quite reprehensible. It, but that's the nature of the press, and. Uh, uh, as long as the public keep buying, they, they'll keep producing and publishing. Moving forward, how do you assess King Charles, King Charles III? How do you uh, see his role in the years to come? What sort of king should he be? What sort of changes should he bring to the royal family, to the monarchy, to make it attractive to the new generation who are less monarchist and more republican? Yes, regarding uh, King Charles himself, as I said, I have full confidence because he uh, chooses his words very carefully and this is very important you know because as i said they're always in the press uh, limelight so they've got to say the right things at the right time and uh, those three interviews which i uh, mentioned to you uh, you know were examples of what not to do uh, so as far as the monarchy is under prince charles it will carry on the great tradition of being a constitutional monarch uh, not being outspoken on political issues. Uh, we'll see how he uh, copes, you know, if I'm being uh, totally frank, with issues which have moved him, which is climate control uh, and climate change at the moment. Uh, I'm sure he can uh, give a very uh, positive uh, uh, contribution uh, to the world in this respect, and uh, we hope that continues. And... Um, uh, also, also uh, you know, as far as his uh, um, inheritor is concerned, mm. I think that's coming along quite nicely, if you don't mind me saying so. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, let's see how uh, the royal family copes and let's see how the press changes uh, to being a responsible press. Let, you know, there, there are many factors. And as you know, there have been many problems Although we had such a wonderful and uh, wise queen at the top, uh, still there were problems, so there are some uh, issues to be resolved, and the press intrusion is definitely one of them in my, uh, in my view. Okay. Uh, let's move on to other news now. Uh, the Pakistani floods, I believe. What uh, is the Guardian? Uh, who, who's, who's been writing in the Guardian? Well, Fatima Bhutto has been writing, uh, and she's, uh, well, penned this uh, this particular piece, uh, which is he headed by this headline, The West is ignoring Pakistan's super floods. Heed this warning, tomorrow it will be you. And she says, uh, today Pakistan, the world's fifth most populous country, is fighting for its survival. This summer, erratic monsoon rains battered the country from north to south, since the southernmost province received 464% more rain over the last few weeks than the 30-year average for the period. Uh, 
Yes, at the same time, Pakistan's glaciers are melting at a rate never seen before. These two consequences of the climate crisis have combined to create a monstrous super flood that has ravaged the country. A famine is coming. The only question is how soon. Economic losses are estimated to be in excess of $30 billion. 50 million people have been internally displaced. Yes, the Secretary General of the United Nations uh, went to Pakistan and uh, let's hear a bit of what he said. Pakistan is awash in suffering. The Pakistani people are facing a monsoon on steroids, the relentless impact of epochal levels of rain and flooding. The climate catastrophe has killed more than 1,000 people, with many more injured. Millions are homeless, schools and health facilities have been destroyed, livelihoods are shattered, critical infrastructure wiped out, and people's hopes and dreams have washed away. Every province of the country has been affected. The United Nations is issuing a flash of peel for 160 million US dollars to support the response led by the government of Pakistan. Uh, that was Antonio, Antonio Guterres uh, of the United Nations, the Secretary General. Uh, 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 as a, uh, the, the floods in Pakistan, there's lots of reports being thrown about or figures, etc. But I presume what the Secretary General is saying is probably more accurate, uh, being an official figure. But to what extent uh, is the damage in Pakistan and what sort of impact is it having in Pakistan? Well, it's uh, extensive and it's uh, the greatest uh, calamity uh, worldwide we've known for uh, many years. Uh, so I think the world uh, had better uh, react appropriately with aid and uh, uh, also react appropriately as to climate change because they're just uh, turning a blind eye. They've... Uh, as far as the climate activists are concerned, and I tend to agree with them, the world is acting like an ostrich with its head in, in the sand, as if everything will go away. But uh, this is terrible, terrible. And uh, uh, so obviously there's the immediate crisis, and we have to uh, uh, provide huge disaster relief. The United Nations have called for $160 million dollars for immediate disaster relief to provide uh, uh, relief uh, housing uh, tents food water for the people who have been affected which is over 30 million uh, so uh, according to the university of uh, dundee uh, over 10 percent of the population just between 10 and 12 percent of the land mass of pakistan is covered in water and uh, I think two-thirds of the districts have been affected. So apart from that, there is the very serious long-term problem of climate control because this, these floods are, will return next year. You know, the monsoon uh, rains and the, uh, uh, the melting of the snow caps in the Himalayas in the north west of Pakistan will bring the uh, water down and then there will be monsoon rains. So the twin effect has caused uh, enormous damage and the first thing the uh, world can do is raise funds. 160 million is not going to go far. Uh, uh, Fatima Bhutto in the same, uh, uh, in the same post 
which uh, Walitza had mentioned, yes. has said that, uh, you know, uh, when there was the Notre Dame uh, fire, which destroyed the historic cathedral of Notre Dame, over uh, $880 million were raised in a day, and all the big uh, Hollywood stars and what have you uh, were on the screens appealing and at the scene. Uh, now we've had none of this. It seems that the people of Pakistan are being ignored by the world. I commend the British government. They have pledged 15 million uh, sterling, which is almost 20 million pounds. Or but that's been eight. raised by the people, isn't it? By, by, no, the, by the appeals rather than the government. No, but the government has pledged okay. uh, 50 million and more is being raised by the people as well. Uh, so... Uh, at least that's something we hope that uh, this can go up um, quite significantly. Mm. Uh, so I, I, you know, you mentioned climate change. You know, in the current energy crisis, the West is stepping up exploration for fossil fuels, uh, giving more licenses out. Do you think that's, uh, I mean, I would, I would suspect that that's, you would contend that that's a wrong, uh, wrong action to take. But then what is the answer yeah, absolutely, because, uh, you know, fossil fuels, I mean, the, the world is getting warmer. It's very, very simple. The world is getting warmer, and it's all happening since the Industrial Revolution. And, uh, you know, we call it the greenhouse effect caused by the release of gases, mainly carbon, but others as well. And it's the burning of the fossil fuels, and everyone agreed in Paris 2016 that they are going to uh, de-escalate but none of this is happening. None of them are meeting their targets. And the Ukraine war has uh, thrown everything out of kelter. And uh, we are back on to, you know, where are we going to get oil, gas? Uh, Russia is, again, you know, um, at, at center stage because they have a lot of these reserves. But if you burn them, then you will have... Uh, you know, we were going to have, you, you will have a climate catastrophe. And uh, so the people of Sindh, if you see the pictures, they're living very rudimentary lives, aren't they? Their houses are very basic. They do not have BMWs and Mercedes Benz and other luxury cars outside their houses. Their transport system is uh, bullocks and, uh, uh, and, and horses. Uh, so um, donkeys, mm. so they're leaving a very rudimentary. So the people of Sindh and Balochistan are definitely not to blame. Mm. Antonio uh, Guterres says that the Pakistan is not to blame for uh, climate mm. warming. It's the Western Absolutely. nations. Yeah. Yeah. They represent 0.1 percent of the emissions yeah. of the world. 0.1%, I think, is, uh, was the figure. Yes, that was absolutely. Yeah. Okay, there's a bit of uh, corruption in Pakistan at the local, national level, and a wise. bit, and. Uh, and there's also, you know, Pakistan just doesn't have the resource to cope with, uh, you know, they've had a water shortage for so many years, mm. and they haven't got the resource. I mean... But, but with all this water coming in, should they not be investing in channeling that water into reserves yeah. and, and providing it to the nation? Because the water, there's no shortage of water. It's not yeah. just being resourced properly. Exactly. So, obviously, we cannot blame God Almighty. You know, sometimes people blame God. Uh, if you look at, you know, if you listen to atheists and all this, they blame God Almighty. 
uh, for uh, creating these crises and not doing anything about it. But I think the atheists won't blame God because they don't believe in a <laughs> don't believe in a God. But certainly, yeah, people yeah, people will reflect on that. Mm. Uh, but but what what does Pakistan need to do to invest in in into proper infrastructure yes, to yes. to channel their water? Well, obviously, resources? obviously, it needs to invest in dams, in lakes, in canals. Uh, but the thing is, this it doesn't have any resource. I mean, what I mean by that is, for all this, you need money. And they haven't got any money. If they go to the IMF, the IMF will say, do, do this, do this, do this, you know, raise your taxes and cut down your public expenditure. Pakistan can't do that. Pakistan is a very poor country. I mean, remember in about 2015, they did that with Greece, but Greece is a pretty affluent country, and its population is only 12 million, and it wanted to borrow 60 billion. Now, Pakistan, with a population of 220 million, cannot even borrow 1 billion. It has to go uh, cap in hand to IMF and to the Arab countries and to China to get all these money. Now, it's a very poor country. Now, one of the reasons is that 53% of its budget goes to debt relief. And another 20%, 25% goes to the army, which is... Uh, uh, you know, another thing about how uh, poor countries should behave. They cannot spend so much on the army. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a historical problem over Kashmir and what have you. But never mind. Pakistan has got to, instead of spending so much on the army, they have to invest in dams, in lakes, capture all the water, have a good system. They simply have... But that will need a lot of investment. It will need a lot of resources and uh, drive from the parliament and the government and the leaders. And uh, why is that all missing? Because of... Well, the drive from the international community is missing because the uh, south is suffering. The north is enjoying life with cars and skyscrapers and roads and railways and uh, aircraft, you know, aircraft, all these uh, cars, trucks, airplanes, they cause a lot of uh, uh, pollution in the air and cause a lot of uh, greenhouse effect and global warming. And people in the West are having holidays, blah, blah, blah. People in Pakistan do not have cars and since Balochistan. So now what the government should do is they have to invest away from the army, away from debt relief. Now, they can't pay their debts, I'm sorry. So you have to have debt relief. You know, you might have heard uh, Bob Geldof and some of these other people banging on about debt relief for the poorer countries. This is exactly what it means. You know, they cannot afford to pay 53% of their budget towards debt relief. Um, and obviously there's a lot of corruption, you know, people, when Pakistan wants to invest, they invest in the latest uh, uh, fighter planes from America and France and what have you. So poor countries shouldn't be doing that, but that's a historical problem. But, the, but that's because they've got threat from India, haven't they? And, yes, and they need indeed, to have a defense, surely. Indeed. indeed. So, so these things have to be um, addressed. Uh, but the, the one great thing which the West can do is, uh, is treat climate change with seriousness. Otherwise, we're, you know, people are saying that it's not only Pakistan mm. and the Maldives and other islands like the Seychelles and Mauritius who are under threat because of rising waters, but, you know, the shores of uh, Britain, the shores of 
France or California, New York, uh, Mexico, South American countries, everyone will be under threat. So we have to keep away, we have to somehow uh, uh, train the world to keep away from scrapers, from flying all over the place, you know, cut down, cut down, cut down. The age of the Industrial Revolution is over. Sorry, you've all got to have 1.2 litre cars. You can't, the world cannot afford uh, such expensive. While the, you know, just look at the pictures coming out from Sindh and Balochistan. See how the people live, donkeys, and, uh, you know, and uh, is how they travel and they cart. Mm. Um, look at their houses, the quality of their houses. It's not skyscrapers and what have you. And if, uh, I've, I've uh, criticized the West, and I think the Arab world, the rich Arab world, who are, are, after all, are not too far away from Pakistan and Afghanistan, and they are Muslim countries, they should be doing a hell of a lot also. You know, it's no use sticking your head in the sand like an ostrich. Fatima Bhutto raises the issue that uh, Pakistan's glaciers are melting at a rate never seen before. The Washington Post uh, states that Pakistan has more glaciers than almost anywhere on Earth. Now, these this is the combination of global warming and the number of glaciers Pakistan has. But Pakistan is a beautiful country uh, with the mountain ranges uh, par none, I, I, would, I would imagine, in terms of beauty. Um, so this is this is where the emphasis of uh, uh, controlling uh, one the world's responsibilities or global warming and two for Pakistan to capture its resources and create more dams. Why are they not building more dams? This is surely got to be the main uh, attack to Absolutely tackle this. Absolutely correct. Now you must have. Uh you see, now Tariq Ali, he's an activist, right? He says the people in Pakistan, the political and the rich classes, simply don't care. Now, you've, you've seen what has been happening in Pakistan for the last so many years. There's a political circus going on. The, it's all about Islamabad. It's all about what is happening, who's, who's, uh, who, who will be the next prime minister, what are they doing, how are they being ousted, and they let in uh, other countries as well to interfere. So this is the problem, you know. There are no real, uh, amongst the political elite, there are no real environmental activists. This is what we need, what Pakistan needs, is uh, for the people and for its politicians to, uh, to kind of uh, focus very strictly on environmental issues and they have to tell the world they have to tell the world look what is happening in Pakistan what you are doing mm -hmm. in uh, Europe and America and the Middle East by building all these skyscrapers and planes and uh, and uh, airports and what have you this is the effect of what is happening to the people of Pakistan by uh, you know these uh, glaciers being melted up in the Himalayas and coming down and the monsoon rains and global warming. I think Pakistan had, in Jacobabad, they had the city of the highest <coughs> temperature in the world, which was 50 degrees uh, centigrade this year. Mm. Uh, 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 if, I, if I can ask, you know, you're asking 
Pakistanis to raise their voices, environmental activists. Do you think that those voices will be heard by people in the north? Uh, unfortunately, the uh, the activists will not raise their voice. I mean, a few activists like Fatima Bhutto and Tariq Ali and others will and do, but the political classes are involved in their bubble, are, are living a life in, in their bubble, of uh, uh, mutual rivalry, as, mm. you know, and this is all they concentrate on. You can see so many, uh, you know, for example, Mr. Imran Khan uh, and also the uh, opposition, uh, the government at the moment, they're leading so many rallies and conferences and this and that, and they're all about, you know, uh, imported uh, government or you know what the ills of the previous Imran Khan government were and they're not concentrating on these issues so I'm afraid the Pakistani people especially in Sindh and Balochistan are being badly let down not only by the world at large but also by the uh, Pakistani politicians who care uh, not a hoot uh, for them in the words of Mr. Tariq Ali. Azad, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, thank you for sharing the thought, and we pray for the people of Pakistan. And may Amen. their politicians particularly pay attention to their people and bring about uh, some sort of uh, sanctuary to them and, and avoid these disasters that they keep facing on a regular basis. Thank you very much for sharing your thoughts. Amen. Thank you very much. Aslam. Right, well, Lisa, uh, yes, we're sir. coming to uh, the sports section of our section uh, of our show, and uh, joining us will be Shahid Khan. Weekend World Sports Review. Assalamualaikum, uh, Shahid. How are you, sir? Salaam. Are you with us? Fine. Okay. Uh, let's uh, go. Uh, get straight on to the proper sport uh, football is that right and uh, <laughs> the no premiership is that the right decision sorry sorry uh, I, uh, yeah. yeah is that the right decision not to have football matches to, uh, today uh, the weekend uh, i think the government the government left this to the actual sport to decide themselves and while some of the sports did go ahead mm. uh, cricket went ahead like they said they did get that one day off because of the test match not starting the first day was the weather and the next day for this for the Queen's commemoration. So I think they left it to Premier, and I think, well, I think that they decided against it, so I think we have to live with that. Okay. Mm. Um, what's happening to you, uh, to Liverpool? <laughs> we're well, talking, we're talking European football here, yes. aren't we? Yeah? Well, European yes, football and exactly. Premiership. No. Uh, uh, they oh, lost 4 1 yeah. in the Champions League. Um, yes, I think that. Uh, indeed, the form continued from the Premier to the way they have started. I mean, that one big victory against Bournemouth 9-0 uh, we thought that they were back on track but mm. uh, then they have come up against a side that has actually highlighted them in terms of European football uh, Napoli beat them 4-1 mm. uh, and uh, they talk about resetting the team I mean this is a bit early days in terms of that and also uh, some other people have left uh, been sacked from their uh, on one bad result but I think Liverpool will override this. I mean, they've had the new personnel, let's not forget about that as well. But uh, Klopp is something who likes to hit the ground running, and this hasn't happened here. And uh, that 4-1 defeat is really, uh, one would say, a big, big uh, defeat after the other earlier set-up in the Premier. Mm. 
it's unlikely to be enough for, for sacking the manager, but uh, a 1-0 defeat for Chelsea was sufficient. Uh, do you think that was uh, a rush of blood there, premature? It might well be, but I mean, let's not forget that Chelsea did spend a lot in the summer with the new owners and so forth, and I think they're expecting a lot more, and especially with the form that they continued. Even in the Premier, they haven't done well. Uh, so I think that running the, I wouldn't say the, it was on the cards that he would be sacked, but it was a big, big shock, I think, just on, as you mentioned, just on one defeat. Uh, but Champions League is where I think things matter. And, they were, and let's not forget that only two years ago, he won them the Champions League as well. Mm. And uh, this merry-go-round seems to be something that is uh, hitting the Premiership right at the very start once again. Hmm. And and Man City are they becoming a bit boring with this Haaland fellow <laughs> scoring every every other match, hat tricks and well, uh, braces. I'm happy that he's scoring because they were after about uh, uh, ten. So <laughs> in terms of that, I think I think it was predicted in the side. This I let's not forget he's only twenty two years old. Yes, the way that he's cracked, uh, not just the Premiership and also in the Champions League as well. He's like, I mean, he's scoring goals for fun. I mean, that's absolutely the highest level. Let's not forget that. And mm. Norwegian at that. It's not even from one of the bigger nations. Mm. That. So I, I think Chelsea are really on to a winner here. And uh, so may it continue. Man City, yeah. City, City, yeah. 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 And uh, uh, our favourite team, Spurs, what do you think their prospects are in the uh, in the Champions League? Started well. it was a very pedestrian. Yeah, I think it was a very pedestrian performance. Let's not forget. It. Must be a good side. I mean, they were top of the, well, not top, but they're unbeaten in the in the French league at the moment. Mm. Uh, but they're not the best of. Uh, well, it, it's a challenge for them at this level. But Spurs, I think, uh, far from the team that I think Conte wants to build. But that's uh, one thing that he likes to build teams like this in the one in which they used to have for Chelsea and that. Nothing very attractive. I mean, the players that are on display. I mean. It seems I was at the match, and it seemed as if they're just relying on the breakaways. I and mean, if uh, mm. the way that Spain actually played in these two sitters, that's, uh, I've never seen a, a goal missed easier than what he did in one of the games in, in mm. that game. Mm. Uh, so, but in the end, they did get that victory, and uh, that's good for them in terms of the start of the Champions League after two years being out of it. Yeah, uh, going to the real excitement now uh, <laughs> with, the, with the Asia Cup. Some real exciting games, and there's me. Who doesn't support T20 cricket? <laughs> oh. to say. But simply some very exciting games in, in this tournament and a good uh, um, PR for the sport itself. Um, and you got Pakistan versus uh, Sri Lanka today. Yes, I mean, it was a surprise packet actually, Sri Lanka. They came into the tournament with uh, in, out of the 11 matches they had played, nine they had been defeated prior to coming to the tournament. And no big superstars in their team as well and just having to live to start living, uh, start learning on, on the job as it was. And the new manager, the ex-England coach, uh, Silverwood, has done them great in this respect. And, and people seem to have just grown from that. In fact, let's not forget, on the first day of the tournament, they were inhalated by Afghanistan by eight wickets within 10 overs. That's right. It, it, it was going to be a, a, a border for the other teams, but they didn't turn out to be like that. But like you mentioned, T20, like yourself, I'm not a great fan of it. And it can just turn on the day and see what happened. But in terms of the excitement and the so forth and mm. the euphoria that we see in Dubai and in the subcontinent, I think it's great for the game. A couple of great games, but uh, the Pakistan-India, Pakistan-Afghanistan must be the top two matches so far. Indeed. I mean, those actually were the big games. I mean, get to 60s in the last over and to win a game by a ninth batsman or ninth-tenth batsman. 
just shows the fact that it can go either way on the day, and this is what happened. And the team, play one player can just take the game away from you, and just uh, even the best of ballers uh, can be uh, can have the problems on the day. Yeah, uh, Nawaz, Rizwan, and Shadab performing for Pakistan, but Babur. Not, not really got there, is he? His eye score so far seems to be thirty, and that's that's not great for Pakistan. Yes, I mean, in terms of quality and actual, uh, one must not forget that he he was on, he's still one of the top players in the world. And just like Kohli, I mean, you won good innings, and then it can come back to you. Mm. Uh, but they're having a bad, he's having a bad tournament. Let's not forget that, and also. Uh, they missed a lot of the Pakistan batsmen. I think they're not being well, not being tested, but they're just not even come up to the party. Yeah. Uh, but other youngsters have, and so that's uh, good for Pakistan yeah. in that respect. Afghanistan really have come uh, come up bounds and leaps uh, and performing at the highest level. Certainly at T20 with Nabi and Rashid and and some of the batsmen as well. Yes, indeed. I mean, they have come a long way. You're absolutely right. I mean, in terms of a very young side, in terms of test or in terms of international cricket, mm. and the way that they have performed here, uh, they will give few surprises. I mean, sure, in the World Cup, which is to follow in October, November as well. So, I think this will be a build-up. Would be good for them in terms of that. Although they did have, I think, tailed off towards the end their performances in this tournament. And I presume Sri Lanka are going to be looking at uh, Rajapaksa and uh, Hasaranga on the bowling. Rajapaksa on the batting and Hasaranga on the bowling side to perform for them and uh, hopefully uh, give Pakistan uh, another tough game uh, if if not beat them. Yes, I think it could go either way. I mean, let's not forget that the Sri Lankans have come into the game having on the uh, five uh, four victories. I mean, on the trot, and they are and having beaten Pakistan in that so-called uh, curtain raiser. But Pakistan did rest them with two of their players for that, and so it's yet to be seen as to. A lot depends on the toss and things like that. But in the end, uh, I understand that the, uh, I agree with the coach uh, Sakhlan saying that. If you are going to win this tournament, then this you have to take into stride anything that comes in terms of winning the toss or not. So, the best team hopefully on the day will perform and be a good uh, victory for either side. Indeed. Uh, well, let's look forward to the final today. Who do you think Pakistan will nip it or Sri Lanka on a roll? <laughs> uh, I think Pakistan have the more experienced players, and that could be in their favour. That's the thing I can think of. Uh, but not forget, Sri Lankans uh, are coming into it uh, with no uh, big st- superstars, and that might, in the end, be the turning point. Okay, we'll uh, we're looking out for the match. Three o'clock today start. Uh, Pakistan versus Sri Lanka in the Asia Cup final. And thank you very much, Shait, for joining us and sharing your views. Uh, thank you, Vilith, for co-hosting. Azar, um, Henry you. Smith, and Philip Kent for joining us on the show, and to our listeners for listening in. Uh, this is Asanandi closing on the Weekend World Show and we look forward to talking to you and speaking to you and sharing our news in two weeks' time. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.